Hey folks, welcome back to the show. I hope you had a really nice Christmas, uh, or Hanukkah, or, you know, maybe just a nice chill time um, with some of this cold weather. Um, this week on the show, we've got Cole Hewitt to kind of break down his rookie season, look ahead to next year. Um, it was a good show. Cole's a cool dude. Um, before we throw it to that interview, though, I have a couple of uh, personal programming notes, uh, so to speak. Um, lake Bomazine, which is a lake that's near and dear to me, uh, the two of the local lake associations, some of the members on it would like to use herbicide in the lake to kill the milfoil. Um, obviously, I feel like this is fairly self-explanatory for most folks listening. I'm not wild about that. Um, we have a petition online that you can go to and sign. Uh, it's called Keep Lake Bomazine Herbicide Free. Uh, if you Google it, it'll pop up. Uh, Bomazine is B-O-M-O-S-E-E-N. Um, I, gosh, I hope I spelled that right. Um, the other thing that you could do, which I think could be very helpful, uh, I feel fairly sure it had an impact when the permit was first put on hold, uh, back in the spring, is to call a governor of Vermont. Uh, the permit to spray the lake is working its way through the Department of Environmental Conservation. Um, the lake associations haven't withdrawn it. Uh, and it's not a guarantee that it will be approved. That said, if you want to give Phil Scott a call, tell him what you think, I think that'd be awesome. His phone number is 802-828-3333. Again, 802-828-3333. Um, also, it's a couple of web searches to send him an email, anything like that. Um, anyway, for folks that do, uh, go ahead and do all that stuff for me. Thank you so much. Uh, if not, I may bug you again. You never know. Um, and uh, without further ado, here is Cole Hewitt. Alrighty, and we are joined now by Cole Hewitt, who is coming off a not too bad, actually, rookie season on the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit, going into a first year slash uh, sophomore season on the Tackle Warehouse Invitationals. Um, Cole, uh, how's Florida treating you right now? Man, it's it's pretty good. It's uh it's a little colder than my liking, but you know I can't can't complain too much. Excited! I'm glad I got the opportunity to get on the podcast, and uh, you know, excited to be here. Well, I'm up in Vermont, and the high was 35 today, so I think you've probably got me by a pretty good chunk. Would be my guess. Yeah, for sure. It's uh it's like it was like 40 this morning, so I got I got nothing to complain about. I guess when you when you uh put it like that. 40 in Florida feels cold though. I'm telling you, like some of the coldest times at tournaments. Maybe it's some that you're not always dressed right, but, man, I feel like I've been really cold on Lake Okeechobee before, and it was not 30, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, for sure. It's, it gets windy down there, too. That can really uh, that can really play a part of that. Um, anyhow, I want to sort of start, I guess, kind of go right to the point here. Uh, you have, I feel like, got to the pro circuit level, and then now the Invitational's really quickly you fished one season of the toyota series as a co-angler in the southern division and then in 2021 you finished fifth in points fished the full division as a boater i mean i had you last fished a college event in 2019 like that's a really pretty quick movement i would say up the uh, up the ladder yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I you know I was fortunate enough, so I fished college for with uh at that point I think it was still FLW, but from 2017 to 2019, and then I, I decided that I just I had some bigger goals. I mean, I had a little bit of success. I made one national championship, but I wanted to try to move up and, and do a little more. So I moved up and I fished the co angler side in 2020, um, and did did fairly well. I think I was second in points that year, um, and then you know made the the Toyota championship. And I, I wanted to try the boater side one year and just see if, you know, 
and it, even at that point, I wasn't really sure that I even had what it, it took to move up even to that level at that point. And, uh, you know, I, I went out and I tried the boater side of the Toyota series in, uh, 2021 and it, uh, it worked out really well. Like you said, I, I think I was fifth in points. Um, so it, it, it worked pretty well. And then, you know, that afforded me the opportunity to, you know, to move up and then fish the, the pro circuit last year. Yeah. Um, so you were kind of fishing the Toyota series then, at least, especially that second year that, you know, from the front of the boat, more as like an exploration than a goal where you're like, hey, I got to make the next thing. This is what I want to do with my life. Or was it, it just kind of happened a little faster than you expected? I don't know that I would say that I thought it happened faster. I mean, I've always knew that this is what I wanted to do in my life. This is the, the path I wanted to take. And I've always tried to kind of build a, an infrastructure around that that would allow me to fish and compete at the next level. And the Toyota series, I didn't necessarily expect it to happen the first year. I knew at some point it would happen, but it just, I think I had a top 10 at Toho in like the first tournament. And, you know, the, the points just worked out that first year that it gave me the opportunity to move up to the pro circuit. And I knew, you know, with a, kind of like a once in a lifetime opportunity and i'm you know i was so young i mean i'm still you know i'm only 24 now so um before i you know really get into the whole life thing i wanted to you know give it a try and see if i couldn't uh didn't have what it took to move up to the you know to the, the upper levels yeah and i mean you look at uh fishing these days like it doesn't seem like being young is some kind of obstacle to being ready to fish at the top level uh you know not to say you're behind or anything but like Cole Floyd is probably about the same age as you. Cody Huff is probably about the same age as you. Maybe they're a little bit older. I, I'm not exactly sure. Like, it's not like they haven't seen success. You know, the, it seems to me that it's a great time to be young in bass fishing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, the opportunity is there for anybody to get out here. And, and that's one of the great things about MLF. They afford you the opportunity, whether you know you're in college or you know you're at the BFL level, the Toyota level, they give you opportunities to get out there and try to make it and move up to the next level where you can, you know, get out here and move up and fish the invitationals. And then hopefully, you know, one day get up to the Bass Pro Tour, you know, to the highest level. So it's, uh, you know, MLF gives you great opportunities as a young angler to be able to move up and do this kind of stuff. Yeah, we saw, I mean, we saw the Toyota Series Championship this year. Like, it was literally the youngest Toyota Series Championship top 10 of all time. And, I mean, honestly, like, if you look at it, there's, like, quite a few of those guys who are either already fishing as pros or certainly look like they will pretty soon. Um, but this year, when we changed to the Invitationals, obviously it's a different product than the Pro Circuit. Um, but it's still that pathway to the next level. Uh was it after the year you'd had, I mean, you finished what, I think like around a hundred, 104th in points, which, mm. you know, all things considered, like you made a top 10, I think as a, as a rookie, like it wasn't what I would say is some kind of disastrous rookie year, right? Like there's stuff that could have gone better, but you know, a top 10 is solid. Like you proved you can compete, I think at least a few times, you know, did you have any mm. second thoughts about like, going into the invitationals or was that just something that you were going to try to as hard as you could to make happen? Um, pretty much what you said. I mean, I, I was going to try as hard as I could to make it happen no matter what. Um, last year, I don't think was a disastrous year. I think I should, like you said, that I have some promise and that I could, you know, potentially be more consistent, I guess was a bigger thing. I had, and you know, I had a few unfortunate, you know, I would call rookie moments where, you know, I, especially I was in the top 10, I think after the first day at the second tournament at Harris Chain. Mm -hmm. and made a rookie move and just didn't I, I knew as soon as I did it that second day that I made a mistake and didn't go back to where my fish were and by the time I got there there were already people there and that was you know it's a rookie mistake that's something I knew better and that's something that's gonna you know for going forward that's those experiences are gonna help make me better and and you know as I learn those experiences that's gonna make me a better angler so um like you said I wasn't real I wasn't real happy honestly with the the year I mean obviously I mean it was 104th in points I mean that wasn't wasn't great but um, it gives me room to improve and it gives me, you know, some things that I think I saw that maybe, you know, if I even would have had success, maybe I wouldn't have learned those lessons that'll help make me better going forward. So, yeah. What happened at Rayburn, uh, with no fish on day two? So man, that seems like a second day key was, one. <laughs> yeah. That there's a couple days that really stick out in my memory. Definitely the second day at Rayburn was one of them. 
Um, I think they had like a 500 boat high school tournament that second day. And I, I being from Florida, I mean, I, I, when I got there, I went up there and every tournament this year, with the exception of Pickwick, I went and pre-practiced for at least two or three days, if not more. Um, so when I went and was pre-practicing these places, I figured out that, that place had grass, that I was going to fish shallow, do my skill set. And the second day they had like a huge high school tournament and it just, it didn't work out. There were so many people doing the same kind of stuff. I was throwing a blade at you in the grass and, you know, et cetera. I, I, the second day, I think I only had like one or two bites the whole day. I mean, it was just a tough day fishing. And, um, you know, that's one of those rookie moments that, you know, looking back, I, I could have prepared for it differently or, you know, you can think all, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but, you know, going forward, all I can do is just, you know, try to learn from that experience and, and help me make better decisions going forward. Yeah. I, I mean, that definitely was one to improve on, but you know, it's not a, it's hard I think a lot of times to come out of Florida and see success nationally, like right out the gate, because it seems mm-hmm. to me and now Florida, like there's a bit, there's quite a bit more offshore game to be had in Florida, it seems like, but you know, we, you didn't used to see like a guy who could like drag something around on a shell bed, come out of Florida. You saw Brandon McMillan come out of Florida, but it seems like it's still, when you go to these lakes where, vegetation is not just automatically the dominant pattern like did you find did you find yourself tripped up a little bit as you traveled around the country or did you feel pretty prepared especially like considering pre-practice oh absolutely i I definitely felt like i let you know especially you know florida you know i I grew up in jacksonville so i fished the st john's a lot and i went to orlando for college so I got to fish a lot of different grass fisheries and, and grass fishing is definitely one of my strengths. I mean, one of the things I really strive myself on being a good angler and understanding how to fish. And I definitely, there was several opportunities, especially Raven being one of them that I looked too much at the grass. I feel like to really, like I knew that was my best strength. That's what I'm the best at. I should just go focus on it. When in reality, I mean, you have to be fishing this level. You just have to be versatile. You can't just go in with one mindset and doing one thing. You have to be versatile. I mean, these guys will run you over if you're not, you know, Versal and 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 that tournament really showed that that I think the grass bite was like a, a a way to get bites, but it wasn't necessarily the most consistent thing to to dominate the tournament or anything. And you know, like you said, you know, being from Florida, there's there's some great anglers coming out of Florida now, especially with the advancements of all the electronics and stuff. Um, it really kind of opens up and shows that Florida's you know more than just grass fishing, but you know, definitely trying to rely on my strengths. I think really burned me in a couple tournaments this year, just trying to almost play it safe. I think that was the biggest thing, not trying to get out of my comfort zone and try something different, even though, you know, we go to like somewhere like Gunnersville and I caught all my fish off ledges, which is something I've never really done before. And I think kind of seeing that kind of an aspect, I mean, it's kind of really opened my eyes to you just have to be versatile. You have to be able to get out of your comfort zone and try different things. Yeah, I could see, I could see that. I think if there was, you know, so Nick Hatfield won rookie of the year. And one of the things that I thought like sort of had him like so well prepared for that year was that he qualified out of the Northern division and he was a guy from Tennessee, you know, like he had, he came into the season with just a really a surprising amount of like national experience for a rookie. And then additionally, he got like some pretty good home cooking with Pickwick and Gunnersville. And I feel like you, you know, you got the Harris chain, obviously, which, you know, we saw Greco pop it like it worked for him. But other than the Harris chain, I don't feel like you really had any home cooking all year. Right. I mean, I, you know, fortunately, I was I'm lucky. You know, I grew up on the St. John's River, which is a tidal fishery for those of you who don't know in, in northeast Florida. And when we got up to the James River, I mean, it was it was so similar. I mean, just the, the ways I've caught fish on the St. John's, we're throwing a crankbait, fishing topwater. I mean, doing all that kind of similar stuff, running tide, all that stuff was just, I mean, it was natural for me. It, it didn't, it didn't take a whole lot of uh, adjusting or it was very much in my wheelhouse for how I like to fish, which is one reason I'm so excited. I saw Potomac river on the schedule next year. Um, James river just lined up great for me last year, which is where I had my top 10. And, uh, you know, it, it, that one actually, to me personally worked better in my skill set. Harris chain this year had so little grass as compared to how it normally does. It was a lot more, at least for me, it was a lot more of like a live scope, a jerk bait. The water was still pretty clear, but I wasn't necessarily targeting grass as much as I normally do when I'm there. So it was a little bit of like a weird Harris chain year for me. So 
So getting up at James River, it was, you know, shallow water power fishing. And that actually really played into my hand for what I, what I really like to do, honestly. I mean, that was, you know, it fit right in my wheelhouse. Okay. Tell me about that one. Cause I remember, I think day one, I rolled up on you and you were like catching at least they, I think they were small fish, but like basically you're catching fish, like every cast off docks, like up near mm. takeoff. And then I think day three, day two, you caught a really big bag. And then day three, at least, you were like down in the Chickahominy, like kind of a long way down in the Chickahominy. And you were running a boat with a 200. Like you, mm-hmm. you were doing some wild stuff in that tournament, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was St. John's River fishing at its finest. I, I would run every morning all the way down to the Chickahominy, which the, the first morning I actually stayed close for about an hour because I wasn't catching a ton of fish near takeoff in practice. But I caught like I caught a couple like five or six pounders. I was catching a lot of just like I wouldn't get as many bites in the chest as I was in the Chickahominy. But when I got bit, I mean they were they were solid fish. I mean they were three plus pounds. So when I was going down to the Chickahominy in the morning, I would catch twenty fish, but I would only have one or two that I thought were like you know in that three pound or better category. So the first morning I fished close to the ramp and it just the tide wasn't right. So I went down there and I was like an hour behind the tide the whole first day. So I actually decided that second day, I just went straight down there. I caught the right tide, and I caught, in the first, like, hour and a half, I caught, like, a four-pounder and a six-pounder, I think. And uh, I ended up calling up to over, like, I think I had, like, 20 pounds after that uh, that first day. So, I mean, that second day, excuse me. So it uh, it worked out really well. Um, and then I would, you know, progress my way back toward the, the ramp and follow the tide as the day went on. Okay. How are you, uh, how are you catching them in both places? Or, like, maybe not necessarily both, but like, did you have distinct patterns uh, or were you kind of running the same thing everywhere? If that makes sense. Yeah. So I was fishing, I mean, honestly really different. So when I got into the Chickahominy, I felt like my best way to catch a big fish was, you know, one of my skill sets I've learned from fishing down here in Florida, I throw top water a lot. So I was catching most of my fish with either a, a spro frog or a buzz bait, just fishing, you know, big hard targets, whether it was a lay down log or a big tree in the water um, stuff that a lot of people, I think, I, I think some of the people in the top ten were keying on, but I think just your your average person was just kind of fishing down the, the the banks or fishing like some of the grass that was in the Chickahominy, and I felt like a lot of my bigger fish were coming off that those trees that isolated hardcover, and uh, I was either throwing a buzz bait like I said or, or a frog, and that was a a really good pattern in there. And then as I would work my way back down, I switched over and I was throwing a, a bladed jig and a square bill crankbait, something I do a lot here on the St. Johns and. And, uh, and that worked out really well as that tide, you know, would drop and get lower. I was fishing, you know, whether it was docks with a chatterbait or I was fishing isolated rock piles or, you know, little wing dams and stuff like that with a crankbait. And that was, uh, you know, a really good pattern as I'd work my way back up the, up the James River back toward the takeoff. Cool, cool. Yeah, and you finished, you know, I guess the way the, way the, the final day was uh, last year, you know, you finished seventh. Um, do you... I guess I don't know in my head what what it would have worked out with uh, if you'd carried the weights through. I would guess kind of similar. Um, but either way, like, you know, fishing on that final day was, it wasn't the first time you had a camera in your boat. Cause I think you had one in the boat at the, uh, at the Harris chain probably. But I did. what was, what was that like? Like knowing you were going out, you know, for, with an even chance at a hundred thousand. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was such a cool opportunity. I mean, I mean that was what was so cool about the format last year is on the last day, you know, going to zero. I mean, everybody had an even chance. You weren't, you weren't going from a deficit. I just kind of went out with a clear mind that I was just, you know, I was just going fishing. It was like a one-day tournament almost. And uh, the, the last day was unfortunate. I'd actually had, you know, one of the things I've had throughout my career, and I'm, I'm changing for next year, I, I have, I've always had like an older boat, and I haven't necessarily had the, the best equipment, taking risks as far as that kind of thing goes. And I, I was blowing, my motor was, uh, was leaking. It was like blowing oil out. So I knew I was like blowing a motor up. So that last day I, I actually stayed kind of close and I was just like, well, the, the better quality has been close. I just need to figure out how to catch these fish and just go, go out and go fishing and make them bite kind of thing. And, um, I really kind of regret that from an aspect is I almost wish I would have run down. I think I caught, I caught my biggest fish in the first like hour. I almost wish I would have run down to the Chickahominy, fish my good, like, mid-morning tide and then come back because i've always i've caught a couple three pounders every day and and then i would follow that tide back and be catching fish the whole time the the few fish i caught any day was on that last day so i really wish i'd have i'd have planned that a little differently but i think with the situation i think i did a, an okay job at least managing it and trying to 
you know, make the most of the opportunity I had. Yeah, that's a that's a tough draw when you can't trust your equipment for sure. And like, let's see, one, two, I think uh, four of the top six, you know, or three of the top five were running, you know, to to the Chickahominy or really close to it. So, yeah, you definitely statistically you ended up behind the eight ball there a little bit for sure. Um, what uh, what's your boat situation? That's a, kind of exciting though, because I remember you had like a really cool old boat that I don't even remember like what the I don't even know what kind of boat it was um honestly it was like a, maybe a charger <laughs> it was a cobra so I had cobra. my uh, ear fishing on the boater side of the Toyota I fished out of a 99 cobra and then uh last year fishing on the pro circuit I had a 2004 skeeter so I, I ordered a new boat for this year trying to get everything in line I mean I knew that I knew going into the year that was probably a little bit of a disadvantage I gave myself you know I mean, I mean, honestly, fortunately for the James River, having a little bit of a 200, I think my, my gas mileage may have been a little bit better than some other people getting, you know, running so far on a little bit smaller gas tank. But um, I think next year I got, you know, I ordered a, I got a full 21 size boat with a 250 and it's going to be a new boat where I'm not, I'm not going to have to worry about running around and, and, you know, having to go back every time you, you crank the key, almost having to worry about running with an old boat. I used to carry a, a diesel truck jump starter with me just to make sure if like I ever had any cranking issues, you know, I could. You know, I've always had to, I've had to almost had that as a, a factor in every tournament. I'm not going to be worrying about that as much this year. That'll be, you know, something I really hope kind of frees me up and lets me, you know, fish a little more free. Yeah, I'll be really curious to see if it changes your performance because this will, for some people, it doesn't. Right? Like, I think John Cox could win a tournament out of a bathtub. Uh, like, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, it, it wouldn't even have to have a good trolling motor on the bathtub. Like, it could be, you know, like. It could be a 12 volt, uh, but like at the same time this year, I got a new boat in the spring and I have found myself, I have fished a lot better this year than in years past. And I think I have a lot more peace of mind on the water than I did mm-hmm. before, just because I went to something that, you know, it just feels a lot more reliable and Every you need every inch of your brain when you're bass fishing, right? It's not like a totally physical sport. Like it's about the decisions, and so I feel like that mm-hmm. could really change some things, actually. Yeah, I mean, and not necessarily. I feel like that it, you know, I mean, I mean, that's the great thing about, like I said, about MLF. You know, everybody's got an opportunity to come out and do this. Once you get to this level where everybody else has the best equipment, the best electronics, the best, you know, everything. If you don't do that stuff, I feel like you're almost and I and, and a lot of that was my own decision making last year that I didn't you know necessarily believe that I needed that or that you know I had to have that to compete at this level and you know I think some of the lessons I learned this year is that you know if you don't do that you're almost cutting yourself a little bit short uh, and like you said uh, not having the reliability of it you know is something I'm I'm trying to eliminate and for next year you know try to kind of almost even that playing field a little bit for me. Yeah, and you know look new boats break it happens but i think that i i do think that i mean there's a reason guys turn their boats over every year like there's a reason most of the guys fishing at the top level are trying to fish out of as good a boat as they can and i think that i, th- I think that could pay dividends for sure um mm-hmm. absolutely yeah definitely i mean there was even if it was only in the back of your mind like there might have been something that you didn't check out in practice last year that well you know maybe this year you check out and maybe it's got the winning fish or it's got 10k worth of fish you know what i mean right well and that was another big thing for me personally i mean i felt like once i got i had that tournament at james river in our fifth stop going into champlain the last term of the year i had you know more confidence i'd had the entire year that you know i'm good enough to do this i'm i should be here i'm capable of doing this and that first of the tournament i had a you know that's that's another factor running that old boat i had a fuel line come apart so that first day i wasn't able to get around i mean it literally took me all day to get from my first spot just back to close enough to the ramp where i could get you know right in with my fish i mean it 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 killed me that first day and 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 that you know that happens like you said you know even with new boats that kind of stuff does happen it's just it's eliminating that and it's allowing yourself to be more freely where you can go out and just go fishing and and trust your instincts and be able to you know just kind of go with the day and uh, sometimes it just doesn't work out with that stuff. But, you know, trying to get that new boat, you know, hopefully, hopefully that year that's going to eliminate some of those issues for me. Yeah, no, I, I think it could. What, uh, um, 
obviously you, you've got a new boat coming. You've been able to pay entry fees these last few years, um, but you're not at the point where you're making your sole living off fishing. Um, I think mm-hmm. that ideally you get there. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing right now? What's what's your off season been like? What's how are you supporting this as you go? So I'm I'm really blessed, man. I you know one of my best friends runs a, an RV dealership out here. We're in in Northeast Florida, Couch Family RV. We're uh, you know a small family owned RV dealership, and I get to come out here and you know make money when I'm not fishing. And there, you know, uh, the owner, everybody here is you know bass fishermen, we're saltwater fishermen, whatever the case may be. And um, you know they act they afford me the opportunity to take time off and get to go fishing and get to stay on the water where I can you know keep my skills you know in tune and and be able to fish while still, you know, you know, have that opportunity to make money and be able to afford, you know, the new boat, the entry fees or whatnot. And, uh, I actually, I work, so I work five days a week here. And then the rest of my time, I work at a, a fish camp in Crescent city, Florida, the three, three, three fish camp. Those guys are great for me. They really, uh, they help me afford to be able to get out pay, like I said, pay entry fees, make money on the, you know, when I'm not, you know, fishing the tournaments where I can, you know, be able to afford to do this. And, you know, honestly, I mean, you know, that's that's been something really hard for me to find in this industry has been able to find a way to make money where you can still you know get off work you know six eight weeks a year where you can go out and pre-fish and do everything and i'm just i'm so blessed to be able to have the opportunity whether it's you know like i said here at the rv dealership or at the fish camp to to be able to go out and do those things that's been a you know been a real blessing yeah that's uh that's really nice that like it's actually worked out for you like that because that's one of those things with with bass fishing, like you need the time and you need the money, and figuring out a situation where you can have both is like it's pretty hard to do. And it seems like it takes a lot of people either like a lot more time in their life, or they just come out of the gate really hot. But you know, you've you've got it figured out. Do you guide at the fish camp, or like what do you do there? So a couple days, so I, I go there, like I said, a couple days a week. So I've been doing some guide trips, which is kind of a nice thing. Gives me an opportunity to make a little money um, while still being on the water and doing that. I'm also helping there. They're an RV park and a fish camp. So they have like a, a tackle source. So I kind of help them keep in tune with, you know, what, what the fish are biting. And I can kind of advise people on, you know, how to go out. They're on Crescent Lake and uh, it's Crescent City, Florida. And, uh, you know, I can advise people on how to go out and catch fish, catch that. It's a big bass and crappie lake. Um, I can advise them on how to do that. I can also, you know, go out and do some guide trips and help them, you know, manage that place. It's a, it was a real, real blessing for me. Crescent, like that's uh, like on the St. John's, right? Or sort of near there, right? It is. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's attached to it through a, through a little creek. Yes, sir. Did Edwin Evers catch a really big one there once? Uh, like back he in the did, day, I believe, I believe he won a tournament out of there. He would run, he would run like 45 minutes from Palatka, which is where the tournaments would be out of down the St. John's and into, I think he ran like into a little pond off in the back of it that, uh, you normally can't even access with the water's not high enough. You got to get like the perfect, which by the time you get his crescents, you know, a couple hundred miles or a hundred miles from the ocean. So by the time you get that far down, the tide doesn't quite move as much, but, uh, he got like there when the water was high and yeah, he caught like a, a real big bag. I think he won the whole tournament just out of Crescent Lake. As far as the St. John goes, like what's the St. John's goes, what's the longest run that you've made there? Cause I know there've been some guys who made mega runs. Like I think in that Toyota series event, which I guess you would have fished as a co-angler. I think mm-hmm. that Keith Carson was going like 90 miles a day or something like that. Yeah. I almost, you almost have to, you know, run kind of slow with your boat just to conserve gas because they run so far. I mean, I've run as far as, you know, close to 100 miles there, which, you know, from the St. John's perspective is a lot. But when you look at somewhere like the James River, that's just, you know, running down to the Chickahominy. I mean, it was just, you know, nothing nothing abnormal there. But, yeah, I mean, running all the way down to, like, Lake Woodruff or Lake Dexter, or you're almost running to Orlando at that point. I mean, it's like a 100-mile a run almost. It's uh, it's crazy how far they run. But you can kind of get away from some of that salt water and get where there's, you know, more consistent more consistency, I think, with your fishing when you get a little farther away from it. That's uh, that's cool. I hadn't uh, I hadn't thought about that, but it makes sense because I guess at some point you would run. Do you ever run out of the tide, or can you really not run far enough to not have a tidal effect? I think once you get a certain distance away, like I mean, there are certain places. Obviously, you get to like Lake George or Lake Dexter, where when the lake opens up, I don't think you feel the current influx as much as you do necessarily. Like if you're up in the river itself. But once you get a certain distance away, I think the tide definitely plays 
especially places like Lake Crescent, the tide is, you know, it's a very small fluctuation once you get in there. And I don't think the tide necessarily plays quite as much of an effect. I mean, if you go north of Palaka, I mean, the tide is 100%. I mean, you have to be running the tide, paying attention to, you know, I mean, I mean, the low tide is, you know, wherever you go, low tide is a really good thing. Um, those fish get congregated on like the last pieces of structure in the water or whatnot. And uh, I, I grew up in Jacksonville, so I got to grow up, I mean, literally in the salt water where, you know, you can be fishing around a boat dock and you go from catching a, a four pound bass to catching a, you know, a 27 or 30 inch redfish. I mean, they're, you know, you never know what you're going to run into up there. So um, running down there, I think away from that, uh, the mouth of the river, you could definitely get to where the tide plays a lot less of a role for sure. Cool. What, uh, you know, we, we were talking about RVs a minute ago um, and you said you mm-hmm. don't do the camping thing on the road? No, I really, to be honest, I really want to. I think, um, I'm, you know, as my career uh, progresses, I want to establish a way where I can afford to do it reasonably. Um, the biggest issue, so Florida doesn't allow like bumper towing where I could necessarily, you know, like we were talking earlier, you know, JT Kenny necessarily and, you know, have a, a boat pulling behind my fifth wheel. Um, they don't let us do that in Florida. And maybe that used to be a thing they allowed you to do, but not, not anymore. Um, man, that would be, it'd be the greatest thing. You know, I love traveling around and uh, I'm actually staying, you know, full time in an RV right now in a fifth wheel. So, um, you know, just getting the, the opportunity, hopefully one day I'm able to have it where I can have a second truck and, you know, just have my dad or somebody follow me to the tournaments and bring a fifth wheel with us. Cause you know, that'd be, you know, having the, the comforts of home on the road, you know, nothing's like staying in a fifth wheel. Yeah. The, the two trucks and the fifth wheel does seem to be, I mean, as far as like sort of comfort and stability, going to tournaments like that seems to be pretty hard to top what about the um you know like the truck bed campers like the ones that like i feel like a lot of guys who have dualies and stuff use them where like they can set it they can still tow their boat and then they just set it set the camper up and leave it or is or are you doing that or is that not appealing to you so, I mean, that's definitely appealing. The biggest thing, so right now I've got like a 2,500 size Ford. So it just, I'd have to get really to get a big comfortable one. I'd probably have to get like a one ton truck. And that was a bit of a concern for me is trying to downsize where, I mean, even like the biggest of the truck bed campers, I mean, they're the nicer end ones are really expensive. I mean, to get that and a truck, I mean, it's almost like kind of a, you know, you may as well just, you know, get a hotel room if it's, you know, for that much yeah. money if you don't have the comfort of now granted one of the great things i've noticed is FOW a lot of the tournaments sometimes like the last year they have the northern opens lined up where we could for example have fished james river and then gone to the potomac river the next week where you wouldn't necessarily have to drive two trips back and forth with the truck and you know you'd be saving on two weeks of hotel rooms where you'd be just staying in the fifth wheel that would be that would be a really nice situation the uh they've done some really great things with the truck bed campers i think personally as far as you know, layouts and stuff like that. But um, just for the the cost, you know, the dollar sense of it, it almost made more sense for me just to, you know, plus, you know, I've, I've got a cap on my truck where, you know, I keep so much tackle with me when I'm on the road. I like to make sure I have every, every yeah. you know, tool I have at my disposal that, you know, you know, I can, I can pack a lot more stuff in the bed of my truck with a cap on it than I could with there was a, a sliding camper in the bed of it for sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not a camper expert and definitely, um, I feel like obviously it's something that's really increasingly popular. Um, but I do think like there are a lot of times where it seems like if some, something can get popular and can be a good way to save money. And then at some point, you know, especially at sort of the high end or when you talk about like what you need your upfront cost to be, it kind of becomes something that you can save money at only after like a long period of time, you know, like, we're right you know like sure maybe you can save money on lithium batteries right out of the gate but you got to use them you know like you've got to use them for the full 11 years to really save the money if that makes sense um yeah exactly yeah where you know it's still probably an awesome thing to have but you still got a high investment (laughs) no absolutely that's 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 part of the thing with the camping too It's, it's such an expense up front um and, and a big thing, too, from the fishing aspect, I wanted to make sure I could do whatever my – no matter what decision I make in life as I've been going forward, I always try to look at, well, how does that affect my fishing? 
if I'm going to spend X amount of dollars doing, you know, this or that or whatever, I like to make sure I, I you know, can, can play in a way that helps, helps uh, propel me in fishing. I don't want to, you know, you know, spend all my money on a camper, for example, and then not be able to, you know, afford an entry fee at a tournament. Like I'm looking to do some more Clota series this year just so I can stay on the water and try to, you know, fish more events. And uh, I think that'll help me compete better when it comes to the tournaments themselves. So, um, yeah, really just trying to, to plan out and make smart decisions as far as, you know, you know, I mean, no matter what job you get, I mean, you know, there, there is an end to the money. You got to, you know, try to make smart decisions to help, you know, put yourself in the best financial situation, which puts you in the best fishing situation. Yeah. I think fishing more events too is, is probably pretty smart. You know, you, especially when you look at, like when, the more I walk, look at Dakota Ebert, and the more I think that he had, like, he, he has purposefully turned himself into such a perfect fisherman because he fished so much all over the place. And somehow he never bit off more than he could chew. Uh, I think for a lot of people that might have been a little bit more than you could chew. But I feel like the staying in the game and continuing to go to new places it seems like that has a potential to really pay off oh absolutely man man dakota is a great example of that i mean he he fishes i mean he's fished more tournaments but i mean i think i've fished in two years in one year he uh he fishes toyotas and bfls and and bpt and the uh, invitationals i mean he's he he proves that i mean you can go out and fish more tournaments and it will it will make you a better rounded angler um, and in another part of that too, I've noticed he fishes multiple divisions, not just necessarily, I think he's, he's from Texas. I think he doesn't just fish the Texas tournaments. He fishes the Florida tournaments back when I was fishing the Cohen, he was already fishing the Florida tournaments. He yep. fishes the Northern divisions of the Toyotas. He's, he's making himself a more well-rounded angler. And, and that's what you got to do. I mean, you know, that, that was another thing going up and fishing Champlain this year. I mean, doing stuff like that, I mean, that's getting out of my comfort zone. He's he's already been up there and fished Toyota series and stuff. That's he that's part of his skill set. He's done that before and and expanding your skill set and fishing more events is only gonna make you a better angler and, and getting on the water and doing that, I mean that's definitely something I'm my one of my goals for twenty twenty three is really just to try to, you know, continue to build as an angler and become more well rounded. And uh, that's that's definitely something Dakota's kinda of shown everybody that you can you can do by just fishing more events. Yeah, so I, 2020, I think, was maybe the peak of Dakota's, like, fishing everything uh, mindset. Mm-hmm. And he fished the title. He fished the pro circuit. He fished the Toyota Series Championship. He fished three Central Division events. He fished one Northern Division event. Didn't fish the Southeastern Division. He fished four, or he fished uh, three south uh southwestern events did i get that right for the northerns one of those i was like wait a minute maybe i counted it wrong (laughs) um he uh let's see 2020 he fished three southern events so i think that's already three full toyota series division that he fished he fished two bfls in the cowboy division like it's an incredible just a swamp of tournaments and I bet he learned something at every single one good. of them. He did. And he did pretty good in most, if I remember right, I mean, cause I'm, I'm somewhat of a stat junkie myself too. I mean, he, he did pretty good in most divisions. I mean, it wasn't like he necessarily had like a huge weak spot. Um, oh yeah. Like division. He, he did, he did good in every division. I mean, honestly, Dakota like almost never misses a check like anywhere. And mm-hmm. the, uh, like pretty much, I mean, gosh, so far, I'm clicking through these 2020 events now, and I think he missed two Toyota Series checks all year. Out of, insane. I don't know, like 11 or 12 tournaments that he fished literally all over the country. Like, that's really good. <laughs> that's impressive. Um, but, yeah, like, what yeah, are he, you... He's a special angler. He's, he's good. <laughs> yeah, he is. What What do you think that you're going to be fishing next year? Because the Invitational's... You know that's six events. What's the what? What's the rest of the uh, the pile for you? Do you think? I'm I'm hoping to fish. You know, they I kind of like the uh, the Southern Toyota schedule. We're fortunate enough that I think they're going to Harris Chain and then Okeechobee. Um, 
those are both places that I don't have a ton of experience on Okeechobee, but I have a lot of experience on the Harris chain, you know, being, I went to school at UCF there in Orlando. So that's pretty close to there. I got to fish there quite a bit. Um, going to get to go to Harris chain and maybe Okeechobee and just kind of see how the points are shaking up. And if I think, you know, I, I, and that was a concern I had last year. I wanted to focus on the pro circuit and not distract my, I mean, you know, being my rookie year, I wanted to be able to focus on having time to pre-fish and, and get to be get to go to all these new places. I wanted to be in as best shape as I could be as far as the tournament fishing went. Um, I think going into next year, I want to fish those first couple of events and see if it's not possible or reasonable. I, I mean, I would think I'd be in good enough shape to make the Toyota Championship. If I can do that, I'll probably try to go up to Ufala and fish the third one and try to make the Toyota Championship also next year. Um, and if that can work out, I'll, I'll try to fish the whole Southern Division and then try to make the Toyota Championship. Yeah, that southern uh, that southern division that's kind of a cool schedule. I like that they're going to Ufala and man, the Toyota Series Championship. It's a it's a really good tournament to be at. Honestly, I mean, it's the money the money for like the top ten because you can or you know you can lead your division and that sort of thing. Like it's pretty dang solid mm-hmm. for a AAA event, and you know you're not necessarily doing a lot else in the fall. Although maybe you are. Like you've got work to do, but it comes at a good time. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Have you dabbled with the idea of, like, trying to say, hey, I want to go get more northern experience, and I'm just going to spend a chunk of time up there in the summer or something like that? Because I know that's one thing that a lot of guys have tried to do, where it's like, you know, they'll, you know, sneak away and spend, like, a month at the St. Lawrence or something. Or is that just not really sort of, like, financially, realistically in the cards? You know, they're both aspects are kind of true. I mean, for one, I don't want to, I don't want to cut myself in as far as trying to get prepared for all the, the invitational events for the Southern events, but also at the same time, I mean, MLF, you know, does do a really good job laying their events out where you, you don't necessarily have to make two trips just to fish the Toyota series. If you're already fishing the invitationals, mm-hmm. I think at both the events I fished last year, whether it was uh, James River or the, the Champlain tournament, there was a Toyota series. I, I could have done had I prepared myself, uh, schedule wise a little better where I could have gone and fished those tournaments and got that experience. You, you've got to be out on the water fishing these places. And, you know, when they're going to places like Champlain, Potomac river, you know, we're going to go back there in the next couple of years. I mean, almost for sure. I mean, it's almost a guarantee. And, uh, I mean, and just like that, I mean, we're going to Potomac again this year. I mean, it's, you know, you got to spend time on the water and, and fish these places to really give yourself the best chance. I mean, these guys are, I mean, some of the best fishermen in the world. I mean, you can't go out and, and give 50% effort and think you're going to compete against them. Um, for both the James River and the Champlain events this year, I mean, I think for Champlain, I was there for almost two weeks. Um, I mean, obviously the tournament didn't work out, but I felt like from a learning aspect, I learned so much from that. Um, where I, I almost should have just fished the Toyota series because I've been there long enough that I, you know, then I got to go back in for the tournament. Um, I should have just stayed there and fished that tournament. It just, I didn't even know that the scheduling had worked out until we got up there and I, I'd seen like, Oh, we should, we should stay up there. But that one worked out. I, I was fortunate. My family got to go for that one. So it was, you know, they came, we just, we all came back together. But, uh, I think going forward in the future, I'm going to try to really plan my schedule out better where I can just try and fish some of those events that are geographically close and that line up schedule wise. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, exactly I don't know what your temperature preferences are, but for me anyway, upstate New York, far superior in August to Florida. I guarantee that. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> um, it uh, you you walk outside in August in Florida, you start sweating. We're up there, it's you know, it's first thing in the morning to the end of the day. I mean, it's it's just beautiful. That's that's a beautiful part of the country too. I, I love being up there. I've, I've got to go up there a couple times now, and it's. You know, Florida's Florida's great, and the the weather's nice, especially when it's you know cold everywhere else. But man, it's it's hard to beat upstate New York in the summertime. No doubt. Um, this year, then you've got Okeechobee, Clark's Hill, Eufaula, Lake of the Ozarks, Potomac, and then the Mississippi. I feel like you're probably excited about Okeechobee, and you're probably excited about the last two. But mm-hmm. what have you like got any of these circled? Are you going to be able to pre-practice all of them? Are you like basically living at Okeechobee right now, just uh, like trolling around in the reeds looking for the mother load? Like, what's the what's your uh, what's your plan for next year? So, unfortunately, I haven't been to Okeechobee yet this year. 
Um, I'm going to go down, but definitely before off limits, at least one, if not two times. I really want to just kind of see where the grass is. I know we had a hurricane come through. We actually had two hurricanes, but one that definitely hit Okeechobee. I know tore a lot of the grass up. So I want to get down there and ride around and just kind of assess what the situation looks like. Um, as far as the rest of the year goes, it's going to be kind of hit and miss. I know unfortunately, some of the, the off-limits dates don't really work out where I can get up there just in time. to, You know, last year having the 14-day off-limits, it worked out almost perfectly at several tournaments where I could, like, for example, I went to, to Gunnersville before I went to Pickwick for the third stop, and I spent a week up there, and then, you know, went to Pickwick. Same thing when I went up to the James River. I, I pre-fished for a week, then I went up to Champlain, then I came back to the James River for the tournament. So some of those worked out just right. Having the 30-day off-limits, it makes it a little tougher. Um, I think, fortunately, like you said, the the last couple events, having one at Potomac, which is a a title grass fishery. And then, I mean, if I had to pick one tournament all year, I'm excited about – I've always wanted to go to the Mississippi River. I mean, that's supposed to be – I mean, throwing a frog and flipping is, you know, my my bread and butter. So getting to have a tournament where that's, you know, one of the places where that stuff can shine at times. I mean, I know it's not always like that, but at times that can really shine up there. That's that's probably the tournament I have circled more than even Okeechobee, really. Um, you know, it's it's funny. You know, growing up in North Florida, I haven't had a ton of experience down in Okeechobee. I have a lot of friends and uh, family who've spent a ton of time down there, but I think I've only even been there uh, two or three times in my whole life, so – um, I've got to get down there a few times for off limits and really try to, you know, fish around. But it's it's Florida fishing. I mean, it it won't be too uh, too different from most of the stuff I'm used to. Yeah, I would imagine you'll be very comfortable at Okeechobee. It's just you know a lot to pick apart. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, that that Mississippi one. It seems like uh, it seems like a lot of guys who are good in Florida are good up there. Like if you can if you can sift through grass and if you have an additional like and if you feel good around current i mean it's a beautiful place for you and brian schmidt obviously has proved that like time and again mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know it it, it seems like a, i mean any place you can really just lock a frog in your hand which you really can there a lot of times is uh pretty sweet my advice mm-hmm. though Absolutely. would be to bring a toe strap just in case because just uh, in case those sandbars are sneaky <laughs> from personal experience there. Uh, Absolutely. That was a, that was one of my decisions too this year with the, with the new boat I'm getting. I actually decided to get an aluminum because I mean, just, you know, my mindset has always been, you know, if you can get somewhere that other people can't, you know, that's kind of a little bit of an advantage. So the idea of getting an aluminum boat where I can, you know, sneak back into places and run farther back into, you know, whether it's a backwater or, or what have you, I, uh, I really think that's hopefully going to be an advantage, especially when we get up there to the Mississippi. I think that'll, that'll, you know, fit right into my wheelhouse. Taupe. Is this like a John Cox situation? Did you just get a Crestliner? Did you, like, just find his old boat somewhere? Uh, something like that. That's, okay. That's, that's, that's kind of where I was thinking. I tell you what, John, I love John, it. pretty good in aluminum. <laughs> I, John, I mean, like, Keith Carson and John Cox, like, they believe that they catch more fish out of aluminum boats you know and it's, oh, I, I guarantee you they do <laughs> yeah and it's like about their style but also i think that they just feel better in them so i uh i love that i can't wait to have another tin rig on tour that'll be awesome and yeah man i mean yeah, it should really be clutch at the mississippi some of their success yeah exactly yeah just be as good as john cox that's easy you got this yeah, easy. Yeah, well, sure, he's one of, like, the greatest of all time, you know, a trendsetter, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, you got this. No problem. Uh, it's all in the aluminum boat. <laughs> it's got it. It's the aluminum boat. That's it. That's the key factor. It's got to be the aluminum boat. I mean, look, Jason Christie didn't have an aluminum boat. Then he got an aluminum boat, won the Classic. Coincidence? Maybe. I think not. <laughs> um, what a... I guess, you know, as you as you look at next year, too, like, theoretically, the places where an aluminum boat is, like, a disadvantage is it's, like, the Great Lakes and maybe, like, the Tennessee River sometimes because it can get really big and rough there. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, man, Clarks Hill and Eufaula are, and, like, the Ozarks are really big lakes. Mm-hmm. I would say Eufaula is the only one that I think gets really rough. Uh, I might eat my words like on day two when there's like three footers at one of those lakes, but 
you know, theoretically, it's a really good schedule for a ten rig next year, I would say. And it's yeah, there's and not mean, a St. Lawrence where you need to carry an insane amount of gas. Right. And I mean, you know, on paper, that looks like I'm really smart for lining that up. Like I just, I knew what the schedule was and I knew we weren't going to have that. I didn't actually know that. I just knew that I, <laughs> I'm comfortable fishing out of an aluminum boat before and I wanted to try, you know, I got a 21 footer for this year. So I was like, well, and then I saw the schedule came out and I was like, well, you know, this, this ain't bad. I mean, it, like you said, there definitely could have been a Great Lakes or something like that where, you know, I would have uh, maybe regretted having that a little bit, but I think the schedule, you know, was pretty fortunate for, you know, the situation. I mean, especially like you said, with having Okeechobee and, you know, uh, Potomac. I know Potomac can sometimes get big, um, depending on where you are, but in the Mississippi River, I mean, there's a couple of tournaments where it could actually be advantageous a little bit even to have the aluminum rig, or maybe I can get back into a little bit shallower places, or I can, you know, run back into places maybe guys with fiberglass boats may not be able to get to. So that kind of may open up a whole new uh, a new opportunity for me that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had in the past. Yeah. I feel like Okeechobee, too, you know, if the water stays high, which I know mm-hmm. it was high after these hurricanes. I haven't really looked. There could be a lot of interesting new stuff to get back into, and the aluminum rig could benefit you there. And then it's, I think that the aluminum is like, I think it's almost certainly an advantage on the Mississippi River, uh, especially if you're an out-of-towner and you don't have every inch of that just pre-mapped in your head. It sounds like, you know, you kind of liked the old off limits. Um, we've get umbrella rigs back this year. We uh, are going to three days. Are there any of the? We're going to you know a three a full three day wait for winning weights. What's what's your thought on some of those those rule changes? So I like the three days of practice. I feel like being especially being. I mean you know this is my second year doing it. I haven't really spent much more than just a couple trips at any of the places we're going to this year so um i think i've only ever been to potomac one day i've been to okeechobee two days and i've never been to any other fisheries so um having that third day of practice i'm definitely a big fan of you know it, it gives me more time to help break those like you said some of these are really big bodies of water i mean mississippi river i mean there's a huge body of water okeechobee is a huge body of water when you potomac i mean there's a lot of water to cover so having that extra day of, extra day of practice really helps um you know young guys like me the 30 days of off limits, that may not be as advantageous to me, but it's also, you know, that's, it's, it's even for everybody. Everybody's going to have to, you know, abide by 30 days. So, I mean, it's not like it, you know, gives anybody else an advantage. It may just make it a little bit, you know, I can't necessarily pattern the fish that I'm fishing for in practice as much as, you know, you know, last year, several tournaments, I kind of almost had a pattern going, you know, at the 15, 16, 17 day mark before the tournament or before practice started, I almost had a pattern going in my head like before the the official practice even started where this year it's almost like with 30 days it's like well you know you can go ride around and get familiar with it but it it may not necessarily be as critical to to pre-fish as much as it has been in the past um i also am a big fan true personally of the the three day where in the past i've had to almost you know kind of and that was a situation at the harris chain where i kind of you know i laid off my fish when maybe i could have just kept catching them and you know upgraded you know a few more pounds you know, now you can just, you know, catch a bigger bag if you can. I mean, within reason, um, and try to just catch that, you know, bigger bag of fish because the weight's cumulative. It doesn't go back to zero. So it kind of gives you that opportunity to, to catch as big a bag as you can during the three days because the weight's cumulative. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of that too, honestly. The one other rule change question I had was the umbrella rig. I, I don't, some people I think don't even know that it's in the rules that guys can throw it now. And I'm asking everybody because, I don't know, to me it's kind of fun. Um, what's your take on it? Did you know he could throw, you could throw it? Did you throw it before at all? Uh, what's, uh, what's your vibe? So, I mean, kind of, kind of, you know, a little bit of each. I knew, I saw that it was in the rules. Um, personally, I mean, I've always been somebody, I've had the, a box for umbrella rigs in my boat. Um, I've never really had a tournament where I've had, like, I've been just on an umbrella rig bite per se. Um, but there's always a situation and brother gets such a good bait when it comes to catching those suspended fish. And especially I, I like using my forward facing sonar. Um, so, 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 you know, there's, there's, there are situations where throwing a bait like that is very advantageous and being able to have that, that's just another tool that we got to have in our box to, you know, 
that maybe you know you catch an extra fish with it. I mean, that could make the difference at the end of the day. So you gotta you gotta be able to use it, and know how to use it, and uh, when to use it. So I'm um, it's kind of cool that they've added that back to where you can uh, you can use it again. So you know that'll definitely be something I uh, I have tied on. I'm sure at one of our tournaments this year. Yeah, I I just like the ability to have um, to sort of you know have all the stops pulled out. Like I like to. I like to watch guys be able to fish with everything that they can, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And there have been a lot of tournaments, especially I think on the Bass Pro Tour lately, where like you kind of could look at it and be like, man, if they could throw an A-rig, this would really be something. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's such a good bait for targeting, especially those suspended fish in, in clear water situations, too. That can be such a, a good thing that, you know, like you said, you know, I, and, and a lot of the time that's something I've tried to duplicate before, whether it was like at a, a Harris chain situation where you're trying to throw a jerk bait to kind of, you know, do do something to catch those same suspended fish or something like that. That A-rig is just so unique that there's no other bait that really simulates the same thing you can. Even with a single swim bait, you can't really simulate that same, you know, bait fish school like a fish that, that draw fish and that, you know, they follow. And I mean, it, it, it's it's such a special, unique bait. I guess before we wrap up, I wanted to talk fishing a little bit um, because you kind of, you've got a unique skill set. You've got the Florida stuff. You've got the title stuff. Um, what do you feel like makes someone a good title fisherman? Like, how do you, how do you set yourself uh, above that? How do you understand when to, when to make those moves? Because fishing tides seems to be just, it seems to be very complex. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. A, a couple of big things that I feel like have set me set me apart from other people, and and this was something I learned fishing on the St. John's as a even as a teenager. I mean, I felt like there was lots of opportunities where you have to be quick on your feet. You can't be taking lots of time and and wasting time because you know that tide is you know constantly rolling. Where you know if I'm if I'm on a dock bite or whatever, and I you know I fish to a good dock you got to be quick to decide, hey, I'm running down, you know, I know a dock, 15 docks down that I catch big fish on and the tide's just quite right. It's not quite right. Or you got to kill a few minutes before you go there. Or, you know what I mean? Where you got to really break down the the timing aspect of it. And, you know, a lot of Florida fishing is, you know, just slow down and pick stuff apart where tidal fishing is more, to me, it's speed, it's precision, it's, you know, knowing when to go where, throwing which baits, um, and a lot of it is to me, I mean, truly is more reaction bait fishing, whether that's a blade of GA, a crank bait, a top water, what have you, um, knowing when to go where is, is a huge part of tidal fishing. And, and I think, you know, fishing on the St. John's, at least that's my style of tidal fishing where I feel like that really kind of separates me. It's just a little bit different. Maybe that's just a little bit different spin on what a lot of people do for tidal fishing, but that's something that works really well for me is just understanding you know, when to go where, which, which technique applies to the, the current title situation you get and, and being able to make that split second decision. That's, that's, that was the James River the whole, the whole time. I mean, it was knowing, Hey man, I mean, we're, you're, you know, you got to move. I mean, the tide is just starting to slow down. You got to run down a little farther and get where it's moving again and just making those quick decisions to go down and, and, you know, and being confident with it, go down and know that you're doing the right thing. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing we've been talking about. I mean, it's just, confidence and, and knowing your your well-roundedness um, and being able to, to go try new different things, not necessarily new things, but try different things and and know you're confident what you're doing, being able to run down and just keep following a tide. I mean, it's such a big, that's a big nail on the St. John's. I mean, it, you know, once you get that tide figured out, you can just, you know, I mean, you can run the tide and, and being able to do that and, and catch fish just kind of builds your confidence in that. Um yeah. yeah, I was thinking that's I, definitely a big, big aspect. I remember last year at the James watching Cody Pike some, and mm-hmm. obviously the tournament didn't work out amazing for him, but he has that experience there, right? And he's mm-hmm. got, like, he was just to the to the minute, it felt like, with some of his title movements that I got to watch. I was like, man, this is just like, it's just really cool to see when someone has it dialed in that much and uh at the same time like does that hurt you other places in florida because 
I feel like a lot of Florida, it's like, oh yeah, they just went here and they camped, is kind of how <laughs> some Florida fishing is. Um, do you, did you, is that a tricky adjustment to balance those? Absolutely. I mean, so like I said, I mean, I grew up up on the St. John's where, you know, you're doing that split second decision. And then I got to go down and um, I fished for the UCF bass team uh, 2017 through 2019 and all of the lakes on our schedule. I mean, we, it was funny. We had our first ever UCF qualifier was on the bottom end of the St. John's and I won that first one. And then we got to go to Kissimmee, like the first time I'd ever been there. And then another little, little Orlando local lake. And uh, it, it's totally, it's a 180. Like you said, it's, it's slowing down. It's a lot of slow fishing and camping in one area. And uh, I, I, I quickly picked up on that kind of fishing. That's actually how I made my first national championship on Lake Seminole was, you know, camping in one little area. And that was those techniques and those skill set I picked up fishing those more like the Kissimmee chain, Harris chain, those like, you know, classic Florida lakes. Um, it's it's totally a 180. It's you, you got to, you know stay on top of and, and understand what you're doing on which place you're at. And, uh, it's, it's a big difference. Now spawn fishing is a little bit different. Even when you on the St. John's, you can obviously slow fish and, and have that aspect, but the tidal aspect of it is a total 180 from, from typical Florida fishing. Yeah, that's cool. That, that really is neat. Um, did you, when you went to the Potomac, did you feel the same way about it? Because I know on the Potomac, there's kind of, two schools of fishing and like there's one school that kind of runs the tide and moves around and i've watched like adrian avina really execute that very well over the years and then there's guys that kind of fish it like florida and they're like i'm gonna sit in this grass and these fish at two or three times throughout the day are going to be eating and i'm going to be here for it i think that was one of the beauties to me about the james is that it was being a natural, like a river, like the way it is, you could do almost, you could run that tide. I think Potomac is so much more of a grass fishery and grass beds. I almost feel like when I go up there, I'm going to have to keep an open mind and do almost like half of each. Like I'm going to have to go up there with the mindset like, hey, if, if things just aren't going well and I'm not comfortable running this tide yet, I may just not be able to, to run the tide. I may have to just camp more in an area and, and slow down. Um, if you can get on that tide where you understand it, I feel like that's what something that separates, you know, if you can stay on a good tide where you're just catching fish, I mean, you can run a tide. And I mean, that's, that's hard to beat. If, if the fishing is more tough and it's, it's harder to get bites, I think it's going to be more of a thing where I have to lean on just the camping in one area. How long did it take you at the James to feel like you understood the tide? Was it, as soon as you dropped the boat in, or was it after two or three days of pre-practice, you sort of got to realize, all right, this is how far I need to run when I'm seeing this happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I, it, it's funny because I actually, when I, when I idled out of the boat ramp, I started immediately marking little isolated rock piles. And I was like, oh, that'd be, you know, something kind of unique people aren't fishing. That's, that's why I ended up keeping on the tournament was cranking, you know, isolated stuff that other people couldn't see. I would be on marking my side imaging. I mean, it was almost, it was almost immediate. As soon as I started, you know, fishing, I actually went, you know, everybody, you know, runs down toward the Chickahominy at the James river. I actually went up toward Richmond. I was fishing a different, a little bit different direction than everybody. And immediately got on a bite where I was consistently catching a little bit better quality fish, but it was very keyed in on like the timing of the tide. Like, I mean, it was like, you could be 30 minutes or an hour off and go from catching just little fish or no bites to catching three and four pounders fairly consistently. I mean, it's just, you know, a very small window of error there. Like that, that place, it worked out where, and maybe the, I think that first day, like I was, you know, I was looking at the tide and I was like, Hey, you know, the, the tide's going to be low, like in an hour, you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta try to run the tide up when I first launch and it, it worked and it just gave me that confidence just to keep running that tide and just keep trying to duplicate what I was doing. And I mean, the whole, I mean, the James river this year, I mean, you know, it, that's been one of my favorite places because it just it's been so easy almost just that place compared to a lot of the fishers we've been to it just it was easy for me to understand do you have uh like i know i think lawrence's can show like a tide chart i don't know if other graphs can do you have that info on your graphs or do you have it on your phone or in your head or just visually how what's your approach to that oh. A little bit of calm. I mean, so my whole life I've always run hummingbird electronics. Um, 
you know, whether it was the mapping or the side imaging. In recent years, I've got where I run more of a split. Like last year, I ran a 12-inch Hummingbird and a 12-inch Lawrence in my dash, so I had the access to that tide chart. Um, I also keep, like, the app on my phone where, you know, it's sitting at dinner the night before. I'm I'm plotting out, like, hey, man, the tide's going to be – it's going to be low tide at 9 o'clock. i got to figure out exactly what my schedule is going to be throughout the day. And keeping a track of that schedule, it just keeps me confident where I know I feel like I'm I'm doing the right stuff at the right time. And then, you know, I have the ability to go to that Lowrance and check that. Um, next year I'm running just Lowrances on my boat. So, I mean, I'm going to obviously when we go to the Potomac, there. I'll have access to that. Yeah, I mean, that's – that's such a great feature they have on their graphs. Hopefully the other graphs get where they, you know, have that feature. If they, if they, they may, they are, I think a hummingbird actually may have a feature similar to that, but, um, I mean, definitely the Lawrence tide chart was a huge, I, I use that thing. I mean, probably 10 times a day at the jam server this year, just to check in and see where the tide was. And, you know, that's, what's so cool about it. You can go to different places on the river and check, you know, Hey, it's going to be low tide here at, you know, an hour later than it is here where it's, you know, you know, just about as easy as on the iPhone, but you know, you're in the boat and it's, you know, it's a great yeah. feature to, to have when you're tidal fishing, for sure. Yeah, you can really plan it out as you go, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Colt, man, I appreciate all your time. Uh, I certainly look forward to seeing you down in Florida this year. I feel like uh, you had a pretty – I feel like last year was, you know, not some kind of disaster. And I feel like you – it sounds like you're primed for success this year. At least I hope so. Um, but uh, before I let you go, like, what do you have for social media? Do you have anything to plug, like – Whatever you want to do, it's your time. Yeah, absolutely, man. I got a couple people, too, I want to thank real quick. I mean, so uh, Couch Family RV, um, the 333 Fish Camp, Amp Lithium Batteries. I mean, some of those guys have really given me an opportunity to get out and be able to do this and, and come out and compete. And I, I can't thank any of those, can't thank those guys enough. Uh, personally, I've got uh, Cole Hewitt Fishing on Instagram, Cole Hewitt Pro Fishing on Facebook. Um, if y'all could give me follows on that, that really greatly helps me out as far as, you know, getting sponsors and trying to build this into a career for myself. Um, yeah. And really, I mean, just Jody, I mean, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity and MLF to, you know, get on the podcast and be able to do this. I mean, you know, that's, you know, that really helps young anglers like myself be able to get out here and, and do this. All right, man. Well, I, uh, certainly appreciate your time and, uh, I hope, uh, hope you have a great Christmas or happy holidays, you know, whatever, Whatever you're looking forward to, I hope it goes well, and I can't wait to see you here in not too long. All 